I don't know. You know, like a little bit here, you know. Chasidus, I learned. Chasidus is a You know, when the Baal Shem Tov famously he went into he went to Shemayim according to what we understand, and he met Elio. It's a famous. I'm sorry. He he, he met Mashiach. It's a, it's a very famous uh, letter that the Baal Shem Tov wrote to his his. Uh, I think it was to his son-in-law, but it doesn't really matter, you know. But he was out. He Mashiach told. He asked Mashiach, "When are you coming?" which means when my wisdom, when the Torah's deepest wisdom will be spread around the world, that's when Mashiach is going to come. And the parable was that if there's a baby, there was a prince, and the prince was ill, and the doctor said that the only way to cure the prince is by taking the royal jewel and the top of the crown and crushing it, and if a little liquid will get a little bit will get into the mouth of the child, then the child will heal. Would you not take the jewel and crush it and use it? Of course you would. So therefore, you take Kabbalah, so to speak, you water it down and you give it to the masses, and that's what Hasidus is. But it's not it's not straight Kabbalah. So you so I don't know Kabbalah, but you you quote you you trust it. We don't know anything anyway. What do we know? How much does anybody really know? That's why it's a whole big problem of being arrogant. It's like really stupid. Yeah. Being arrogant is like one of the stupidest things in the world. I, I knew somebody that, I don't care if it's on this because to me it's ridiculous. I know somebody who is an um, anti-vaxxer. But like a real anti-vaxxer. I'm not talking about somebody that's not into COVID. You know, they don't want to take the COVID. That's, that's not, to me, that's not an anti-vaxxer. That's somebody who has a problem, you know, with a specific vaccine, which I took because I, I don't understand that either because you don't know how anything works. You don't know how aspirin works. You don't know how antibiotics work. But you know everything about vaccines. All of a sudden, you went to you know university, uh, Stanford University Medical Center School, because you know everything, and you're going to make these decisions. I said to this woman, you know, like, what are you doing, man? I mean, well, you're not giving your kids the measles shots. You're not doing anything. Kids, the kids got thrown out of school because of this, and she was adamant this is like poison. I'm saying. Did you ever go to medical school? No. What do you know? I mean, and even if you did, you went to medical school. You know more than most people, but but you you don't know how all the right. It's just whatever. So being arrogant is a very very bad thing. It's a silly thing. Anyway, so I figured that tonight I have two things. I I can talk outside, which I will, but I also felt that tonight. I saw this nice, short, two pages from the Rebbe. The, the Rebbe means, for me, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. That's the one who passed away recently. And I am not a Mashiachist. I will tell you that I was very surprised when I saw this, but I understand now why <laughs> it happened. As a general rule, um, we, the only people, well, no, 
In Israel, you know that people are not buried in caskets, right? Mm -hmm. You know that. In Israel, you're not buried in it's a just casket. Just the palace. Yeah, the only time that they, I think that they'll put you in a, in a <clears throat> casket is if the body was mangled or in a, in a bad accident where there could be blood and other things around. I think that, that they, I think they, yeah, the Israeli soldiers, think about it. When they bury an Israeli soldier, it's in a casket. I just saw one today. But otherwise, regularly they don't. What's the reason? Because we want to be connected to the ground as, as much as possible. As a matter of fact, if it, as a matter of fact, okay. According to Allah, you're supposed to be buried in wood. Wood. Came across, so no, let's not go back. In Israel, it was not in wood. It was in shrouds only. Only shrouds, except, God forbid, again, the body is, you know, you can't have people dripping blood as they're carrying it. Um, in Chutzlarts, they we use wood, wooden caskets. But as everything, human beings like to show off. We like to show off. So we started using, the Gemara says, we started using very expensive wood. And the wealthy people had, you know, fancy mahogany, ebony, you know, very, very expensive cedar wood. And the poor people were feeling bad because Nebuch, they had, you know, poor, you know, cheap wood. I believe it was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. I might be mistaken on the name. But one of the Tanaim was upset when he saw that there was this, you know, like the Joneses. Everybody was trying to keep up with the Joneses when it came to trying to get a, a fancy, you know, <laughs> so like casket. That's like really stupid to think about. It. But people don't like that. You know what I mean? That's what people. Listen, and it's not stupid to wear underwear with somebody else's <laughs> name on it, right? That's not stupid. <laughs> think about it. There's a lot of things we do that you know. <clears throat> So he, uh, I, if it wasn't Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, it was somebody else of, of that stature, was, was asked to be buried in a plain, pine, simple casket. And that became the norm for Judaism, that you're buried in a simple, pine, plain casket. That's why, that's why, that's what we do it for. Um, so, I mean, halakhically, all wood is wood, but that's why we do it. That time, however, this the Hasidim, or I shouldn't say that the more religious. You know, a, a casket has a bottom, and has a top and has sides. So somebody, if you're in the more right wing society, so he jumps into the grave and knocks out the bottom. So that this way, <coughs> the ground is touching the casket. I mean, not the casket, the, 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 the body, you know? Otherwise, it just takes a little bit more. So what does this have to do with anything? What are we talking? What does it have to do with graves? Mashiach, Earth, Israel? No. Israel, 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 and he was, by the way, he was buried in his um, his table. That was an old tradition. That was an old tradition that you would take if the person who had. How are you? 
How, give him one. There was the tradition that if you were a Rav or somebody and you would spend your day learning Torah or meeting with people, doing mitzvahs, whatever, so they would take the table and they would make a casket out of the table. And that's what he was buried. So we're going in front of the, in 770. I don't know if you remember anybody. I don't know if you've ever been to 770, but um, you go in. The day he passed away, everybody lined up and went by his room. And he was lying on the table, on the floor. They had taken his table, the table, and they had already, I guess, cut off the top or whatever. They, you know, they had already worked on it. He was lying on the table. He was had the scissors all around him, all around his body. And you could see the shape of the Rebbe. You could see it right there. And I'm saying to myself, that's weird. We don't usually do that. You couldn't see his face. His face is covered. But we don't usually do that. And then years later, I realized what was going on. They wanted to make sure. They got by and wanted to make sure that everybody saw that the Rebbe had passed away. And you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Because otherwise, there would have been many a person that would have said, well, you know, they, they didn't want anybody to know that he took a flight to Yushalayim and, or to Kfar Chabad or whatever. And then, you know, you know. Last night we were talking about, I don't know why we were talking, I know why. And today I found that I was right. The only one here who's old enough other than me is you. And maybe you. Do you remember growing up and they used to have these glass jars from Israel that were sand with colored sand from Israel? Yeah, of course. Do you remember that? What is it called? Nobody knows anything about this. It's like it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Everybody you, had them. And you put it in the casket also. Yes, you take the sand and you put the sand in the casket because you're buried with sand from Israel. And you also, they take shards of pottery and they put it on your mouth and on your eyeballs and your nose. I believe your nose too. But I don't deal with cemetery stuff. He does. He's we were just talking about Anyway, to go further. So I, I was saying that about the rabbi, I said the previous rabbi, and then I said that I'm not a mishichist, that the rabbi passed away, and then I said this, and I said to myself, let's learn a piece from the rabbi. Let's learn it inside. It's only two pages, so it's going to take reading it straight and understanding it, and you'll come away with it. Really, clarity will not take more than 20 minutes, maybe less. Are we game? Are we hungry? Anybody want to get food before we start? Okay. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Vayechi. I'm just going to read it. I'll read it quickly and translate it. Now, one of the things about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which is good and has a flip, everything which is good has a flip, is that he is very clear. You, when, when you learn his writings, he doesn't leave anything to the imagination. Sometimes when you're learning things, like be, it'll be cryptic. Like it'll say, you know, you're learning and it'll say like a, a line and you're saying, ah, maybe that means this or maybe that's alluding to that. Not the Rebbe. The Rebbe didn't do that. He was extremely crystal clear by what he wanted to tell you. And the good thing about that is it gives you clarity to know what he wanted to tell you. The only downside, I think, a little bit is that 
you need the imagination to grow a little bit. But, but, but then again, if you're learning a lot, then you'll get it anyway. So it's not really a downside. So the Pasuk says, It says that this is the Pasuk. It starts with, Yaakov lived in Egypt. Parsha Senun, so now, I'm gonna, that's, now we'll start reading the Rebbe. Parsha Senun, Niftachas, the Parsha begins the Pasuk with the verse that says, Yaakov, and Yaakov lived in Eretz Mitzrayim, that Yaakov lived in Egypt, Shvas Reishonah. He lived there for 17 years. Okay? That's, how, that's the first pasuk of this week's parsha. Mefarsh Zos Balaturim, and the Balaturim, who is one of the major commentaries of the Middle Ages, he writes, says, that the best years of Yaakov's life, were those 17 years that he lived in Egypt. Okay? So that's what the Baal term says. You want to know about his life? The, we're learning a, 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 a thought from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. If you want, you can follow inside. We have some here. Or you could just listen. So, so he says that Yaakov, this is page one. Page, yeah. He lived in Egypt for set here. We'll share. He lived 17 years in Egypt, and those 17 years were the best years of his life. Kasha Adam now, now that's what it says. Now we're going to have a story that the Rebbe tells over. Now in, in Chabad land, it's not nice to say that, in Chabad, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe was known as the Alter Rebbe. Okay? He's the one who wrote the Tanya, he wrote a Shulchan Aruch. He is the, he's the number one. He's the first. Then you have a second per, second one who's known as the middle rabbi. Then you have a famous rabbi. He's known as the Tzemach Tzedek. He's the third. There were seven rabbis. He is the third. Okay? Just keep in mind. Now we're going to have a story about the Tzemach Tzedek. Okay? Kasher Admor Baal HaTzemach Tzedek. So, when the Tzemach Tzedek Hoya yelled, when he was a little kid, and he learned the Balaturim that said that Yaakov's best years were in Egypt, he went home quickly, and he asked Rabbi Hazokin, he asked the Alter Rebbe, how could it be? That the best years of the life, right? That the best years of Yaakov, Bacher Avos, who was the greatest of all the, the, of the Avos, he was the third, and the Jewish nation is founded, is Avram, of course, who started it all. And Yitzchak, but Yaakov is the, is the father of the 12 <laughs> tribes. How could it be that his 17 years in Egypt, were the, those were the best years. That could, how could that be? See, he didn't, he didn't, like, he didn't hide and not ask the question. It's a very good question. So, Aloha Rebbe, so the Alta Rebbe responds to the grandchild, and he says, You know why? Because before the Jew, before the Jews went down to Egypt, Shalach Yaakov is Yehudu Lahoris Lafonov. That Yaakov sent 
his son Yehuda down to Egypt first. Kapirish is the why? Lahitokin lo base Talmud to make a yeshiva there. Shetehesham Torah. Okay? Now. Ukishalomding Torah, and when you learn Torah, Miskarvim El Hashem, you get close to God. Vicholim Lios Chaim Amitim, and you can have really truthful life. Gambe Mitzrayim, even in Egypt, Ervas Haaretz, the worst, most disgusting country in the world. If you've got Torah, you can be there, and that could be your best life. Okay? That's what he answers the little kid, which is the Tzemach Tzedek, which is fascinating. Fascinating. So the Palatanian basically is telling this little boy and telling us that, you know, wherever you are, you can bring God into that world. Okay? Everybody here, am I making you sleepy? Are we all tired yet? Not yet. Soon. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's go further. Do you like this idea, or is this, should we stop this? You like it? Shalom likes it. But was yeah. he not studying Torah in where he was? Well, that's going to be the question. That's going to be the question a little bit deeper. But, you know, because he was learning there too. Right. So why, why would this be the best years of his life? Okay. So, Yesh Levar says, So the Rebbe says, let's get a little deeper over here into the question and the answer. As he told over the story, that's the end of the story. But now the Rebbe has taken over that. And he's saying, Like the whole purpose of this, of living, is he, his Romeim, is to remove yourself from the limitations of this world and to get connected to God. That's the purpose of this world. Not to be limited, not to be defined. Yeah, you grew up in the middle of Louisville, Kentucky to a drunk and a, a woman who is a bad woman. That, and, and doing all sorts of bad things, that doesn't mean that you can't become the greatest tzaddik of the world, right? You could do anything. That's the purpose of this world. I don't know why I said Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> and I don't know why I said drinking. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm thinking science. I don't know. I must be thinking of something in my head. I don't know. Shadavka now, okay? Okay. Now, Mitzrayim and Egypt... Misamelis as Hevach Gomer, it's like symbolizes the exact opposite. If Judaism's ultimate purpose is to remove all types of limitations and to bring yourself to spirituality, Egypt was the exact opposite. Egypt was known as Hagbolos, which meant limitation. The Hebrew word Mitzrayim means Metzar, which means the narrow confines. It was, it was symbolic for the opposite of everything. Zu So So the question still holds. How could it be that specifically in Egypt, that it's in Egypt that he finds himself reaching perfection? It's like if somebody said today, don't be insulted. I'm not going to go to Israel, I'm not going to reach spiritual perfection in New York. I'm going to Tabriz. 
right? That's in Iran, right? I'm going to go to some, give me some sick place in Iran, a, a little town where there's lots of bad stuff going on. Tehran? No, not Tehran's a big city. I, whatever. You know, I, I shouldn't say. Is that nice? Hamadan and Shushan. Kabul. Oh, Kabul. I'm going to Kabul. That's where I'm. No, you, that's, that's not where you, you, I know. We're not going to Kabul, and we're not going to. The capital of Sudan is. Capital of Sudan is. What is the capital of Sudan? What is the capital of Sudan? It's Mogadishu. Khartoum. Khartoum is not the destination for people who want spirituality. I don't think so. I just don't think so. There's a lot of other places we shouldn't get going to anyway. So Alkane Bahachuva. So therefore the Rebbe, the Rebbe says that's why there was an answer. Shekashik Shurim Im Im Torah, that if you're connected with Torah, just listen. Nitan Adam Hakoach, then a Jew is given the power. That you can be connected with God, even in Egypt. In other words, even in the place which is the darkest, you can reach God in deep ways. Shekena Torah, because the Torah be also because the Torah, which is connected to godliness, the God Yeshba Koach Ein Sofi has absolute power, the Vilti Mubal, which is not limited, the Lochain He Govelis Al Kolham Mikbalo Shalmitzraim. And therefore the power of Torah can overpower the negative power of of the most limited anti-religious, anti-ethical society in the world. You can be in the middle of Gaza City God forbid nobody should get hurt there that's Jewish, but you can be in the middle of Gaza City and you can learn a piece of Chumash and connect to God even though it's in, in some way the most I mean, horrible place to be right now. Right? That's what he's saying. To the point that in some way only in Egypt that a Jew can reach the highest level, which is telling us something very deep over here, that there is, okay, let me ask a question for a second. Okay. Okay. I want everybody to raise their hand even if it's not true. Okay. How many people have been, love, have been in love Come up the hands, everybody. Come on, put yeah, put the hand up. You've been in love. Okay, good. So now, okay, so now, okay. <laughs> since, everybody's, since everybody's been in love, okay. So, is it being with the person that you love, which is like the ultimate, or is it the dreaming about being the one, the person that you're in love with? No, you say being with the one. I don't mean that. I'm telling you. I don't mean that. What I mean is like this. I am going to Israel. Let me let me do the because let's get away from the, 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 the human is the anticipation the, greater. The anticipation. Is is the anticipation itself is there something that the anticipation is more than the reality? You know? 
Yeah, you ever go to Israel and like you're so excited? You're you've been dreaming about you know going to going wherever you plan on going, and you're everything's you're doing everything and you you know and and you set your schedule out you do everything, and then you land and a little bit of a letdown. Anybody ever have that? I have two hands on that one. Now that doesn't mean that it's really a letdown, but. The point being that in some way, being in Gullus doesn't make Gullus better, but there's something that you can get while you're in Gullus that you can't get in Gula. There's something there. There's something that you can get in the darkness that you can't get in the light. There's something there. Again, we don't want to stay in darkness, and we don't want to stay in Gullus. That should, that should not be the takeaway of what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. And we don't want to only dream about the person that we love and not to be with that person. That's not what Zakatinsky is saying. No, no, no. We want to be there, and we want to be there. But there's something, and the Rebbe is pointing this out, that there's something that being in Gullus in darkness, there's some level of holiness that you can reach Dafka and Gullis, you know? Yeah, you wanted to say something. So I want to say something. You don't have to agree, by the way, with me. I read this week, quoting Rav Sadok Cohen, that also he says that the, the same concept that Yaakov's greatest period of growth was in, in Mitzrayim, and he emphasized that it's Torah, the Torah Shabbat was in Gullis. Right, in Bavel. You know, in Bavel, and on all things. So there's something, there's a use, there's a power of Gullis to bring out, you know, Someone's greatest. Uh, How do you make a diamond? You got a pressure. It's pressure. That's what it is. It's the pressure. How do you lose weight? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. Not by eating this. This ain't going to do that. Just for the record, this is not going to cause you to lose weight. Does Ozempic work? Huh? <laughs> no, but, but the idea of the pressure. The pressure. You're a physical therapist, a trainer, right? No pain, no gain. The way to grow a muscle is to break. Yeah, break muscles. So let me ask you a question, because I always thought that eating Milky Ways really helps the, you know, developing your muscles. You know, Milky Ways. I can't eat a Milky Way anymore. I want. Bothers me. I'll tell you the truth. Not three musketeers. <laughs> How many? Did you like three musketeers? I was a Rolos guy. You're a Rolos mm -hmm. guy. Rolos is good. You don't but see those around so much. I think Twix is better than all of those guys. You don't like Twix? Snickers. Snickers. And you're saying, what is this rabbi talking about? <laughs> I, I'm stuck. In, I'm stuck in a different time. Ulam lecha'ora. However, if you think about this, lo nosan harebi tshuva malaya. The rabbi didn't really give the kid l'she'elas nachto. He didn't really answer his grandson thoroughly. Hashe'ela hoyasa. The question was, eich you talking? How could it be? Shadafka <laughs> b'Mitzrayim, that specifically in Egypt, Yagia Yaakov l'shleimus chayov, that Yaakov is going to perfect himself, right? Ve'iluhu hezbir, and what the answer that he is giving is Shayidei Torah that through the Torah, 
You could also live in Egypt. So like he's answering, the question is, how is it that you're in the middle of Egypt and that could be the greatest thing for you in a way? And your answer is that if you're in Egypt and you have a life raft, and the life raft, what's it called? The, uh, uh, you have a, a, a cord. They throw you a rope. A buoy. A buoy or whatever. That, that could give you, that you could survive, right? That, that's what the answer is. That even in Egypt, you know, if you have Torah, you're connected. That's not the answer. So he says, what is the real interpretation? That is the power of the opposite of darkness and light. By experiencing darkness, you can appreciate light in a much, much deeper way. As it says in the Apostle, that there is a, uh, that there's a quality of light over darkness. The understanding of the, of the, um, of the, of the quality of light is dafka, when you are able to take the darkness and turn the light on, if I would go right now over there and turn off the light and then put on the light, we'd appreciate and understand the light much better than when you go out in the middle of the day, right? Because it's the darkness which enhances, not enhances, which, which, which actually shows the light in it, all of its beauty. When a Jew remains totally connected to God, when he's in Egypt, you're actually having a situation of turning the dark into light. And through that, when you turn darkness into light, you're actually bringing, going to a higher level more than it would have been just by the light itself. Again, this doesn't mean we should stay in Gullahs. It doesn't mean that you stay in Egypt. It doesn't mean that we stay in New York or in Gaza City. But what it does mean is that this, was, this is a, a negative experience which is necessary for growth. The Gullahs, we had to be in Gullahs because there are positive things that came out of Gullahs. They're positive thing. It's not all punishment. Like on a very simplistic level, when you're in yeshiva, they tell you that we went into Egypt, we're in Gullahs because of Averas, right? That's what they tell you. Now there is an element to that. It says, right? Which means that because of our sins, we've been expelled from our land. There is, that is true, but that's, but that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. The fact that we're sitting here in Queens, New York, 2023, while well, maybe some people are screaming, you know, from the river to the sea in Manhattan, I don't know, but, but we're sitting here and learning Torah. We're turning the darkness into light, and that is greater in some way than when you're sitting in the old city by the Kotel and you're davening. In some way. In some way. You know? Because it's harder. I have a friend who told me that when he came, he was a Baal he said when he came back from Israel and uh, after yeshiva, 
and he came to New York, he could not believe how people talk in shul. He couldn't believe it. It really bothered him. You know, after two years in, you know, in Israel, and everybody's into it, and then you come back and you go to some, you know, some, you know, those people, you know, you listen to the real davening, and they're barely davening, but when they're davening, and they're talking, and they're, you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And then, and then, minion factor. Got, yeah, so then the guy said, after being in America for two years, he said he couldn't believe how, how great these people are that they take off from work in the middle of the day to go daven mincha, you know? Like, you think about it. There's a minion here in Queens on Main Street. I think it's at 3 o'clock. I don't go there, so I don't know. But I think it's 3 o'clock. 3.30 gift world. In a gift world. The people, Mamish, in the middle of the store, if you look at it from the outside, and, you, you know, it looks like the most a-spiritual, a-spiritual kind of prayer service that you're ever going to find. You're in the middle of a store. People are browsing and shopping, right? And the davening is extremely quick. It's very, you know, it's, those are holy people because it is really hard to close your door when the, I'll give an example because I always see them do it, the dry cleaners, you know, David, mm -hmm. in the middle of the day, I'm talking about in the middle of the day, takes the door on his business and closes that door. That is more difficult than it is to stand by the hotel and say, um, and to Davin, uh, I don't know, some long, you know, tell him or something. It's really hard. It's, that's what the Reb is saying over here. Because that is really, really, really hard. Chuvazu nitna liyeled beremes, bilvad The answer was given to this little child. Shekin kashem meduba bereshis chinuch. Why didn't the why why did the Rebbe why did the Alta Rebbe not tell him this whole story? Because when you study the whole picture and he just said that if you connected in Gullis to to the Torah, you know, that's a good thing. That keep that saves you. He says, because when you're teaching education, and this is important, he says, You can't deal with these issues when you're dealing in first grade. A little kid in first grade, you can't, you can't talk about these concepts. Yelit Sarich Ladas, a little kid needs to know. that darkness is bad. And you gotta get away from the evil. You see, we believe in Judaism that you tell a kid there's a thing called good, and there's a thing called bad. There's a thing called a boy, and there's a thing called a girl. <laughs> and there's a boy, and there's a girl. And that's what there is. They once asked, uh, let's just when he gets older, when you get more sophisticated, then he learns that if which means if it happens that you find yourself in a circumstance which is, and you're in a danger in, in a dark place and you handle yourself so then you reach that level of a person who takes darkness and turns it into light and then you can appreciate that you can't do that to little kids 
You can't say to a little kid, okay, if you want to watch porn, then this is what you type into the computer. And if you want to watch um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and listen to Torah, then you could type this into the computer and do whatever you want. You can't do that. You can't confuse people. You can't, you got little kids are little kids and they have to be trained, taught. You know, I'm gonna tell you something very interesting. I, I'm not saying that there aren't other opinions. Do you remember the first Gemara, Mishnah or Gemara you learned? No, I don't mean do you remember it, but you know the name that you learned. The chances are it was Baba Metzia. Probably. Probably. So somebody went to, the, to Rav Moshe Feinstein. I, I, it's a very fair question. And the answer was at the time when I heard it, I was a little young, so I didn't appreciate it. But now I appreciate it. The, the question is still a good question. They said, why don't you teach little kids brachas? I mean, think about it. How often do you find things? Once in a while. How often do you make brachas? All the time. You know? What's more interesting or what's more practical? Brachas. Right? So why is that what we're teaching them? That the first thing that you're teaching a little kid is all about that two people are fighting over an object in the store, the Shlamoks in Batalis. This one says, I found it. And this one says, I found it. How many times have you actually seen two people in the street fighting over a talus? I mean, I'm just asking, maybe, I don't know, maybe the doctor sees this all the time. In the doctor's office, they're all fighting over being able to have the drill go into his mouth. How many, seriously, so how many times, I don't know your name. What's your name? Simcha. Simcha. Did you have, recently, have you seen any people fighting over Talisim in, in the street? Probably not. So what's Pshat? So the, 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 the Moshe said that the first thing you have to teach a little boy, or a little child, he said, is what is mine is mine, and what is yours is yours. And I cannot take what's not mine. It's yours. It's not for me to take. A little kid has to learn these ideas that there are boundaries, you know, and there are rules of life, that there are my possessions and they're your possessions. And when they come into conflict, how do you deal with those conflict? That's why he said that's why we start with it. Which I thought was very interesting. Again, I, I'm sure that other people maybe had other opinions, but that was why Rav Moshe said that you start with Baba Metzia, where the little kids learn about what is theirs and what is not theirs. You know? And of course, we live in a society which is so corrupt in every way. Everybody all knows Baba Metzia so well. <laughs> okay, so okay, so then the last line is Hari Okay, but to teach the kid, a little kid, about the complexity of life and darkness and light, you don't do that. Because you're not supposed to put yourself into that. If it happens, it happens. Okay, I'll just read a quick last line here. It's getting late. Zuhal Rosh at Tamuna Bidivrei Harebi. This is what the Rebbe was trying to tell us. Shim Chalila Chata Adam. If unfortunately a person sinned, 
And when you sin, in essence, you're, you're putting yourself into the dominion of Egypt, right? Because now you've done wrong. So when you sin, you're in essence within Egypt. You don't say to yourself, I'm screwed. I'm, <laughs> it's on the tape. I'm done. I'm finished, right? You stand up to the test. And then you're able to turn. Then you can turn darkness into light. And then you can make it that the dark became, becomes light, which brings to the Geula Hamiti Vashlema, which means that you could be any place in this world and you can be any. It's where your mind is, it's not where your body is in essence. That's what the Rebbe is saying. I think it's interesting. Now, so I need to know because it's already five of eleven. We're not doing any more tonight. What's going on? Do we like this side like this? Once in a while, we do this once in a while. You got the that. That's the.